Okay guys, welcome to episode one of the Talking Fit Podcast. Today we're gonna be talking about the reality of fat loss, calories, and why your body is trying to screw you over. I'm Rogan Allport, and these are my co-hosts. Kate Owen. Greg Foley. So let's just get straight into it. Okay, so, how does fat loss actually happen? Um, I think that the, the debate that comes up a lot about, you know, whether it's insulin, whether it's anything like that, kind of ignores the fact that at the end of the day, fat storage is storage of energy. Your body will conserve any energy that you're not using immediately so that it can use it in the future. Which means that when you want fat loss to happen, you need to be using that energy. I so basically what he's saying is you need to be in a, in a mild, well, you can, go, you can go into a gross calorie deficit as well, but for the vast majority of you, you just need to be in a mild calorie deficit to utilize those fat stores mm-hmm. for energy. Um, it's very, <laughs> at that level, it's very, very basic. The issues you'll find is obviously social cues, hormonal problems, whether you're male or female, genetic issues will come quite into this and how quickly you lose that fat. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, at a base level, it's, it's energy balance. Energy balance. Okay, so okay, job done, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Nailed it, crush it. See you next week. Remember to leave a five star review. No, but in all seriousness, though, okay, so when we're talking about energy balance, we are effectively talking about calories in, calories out. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're going to start using. The- why do you like this, Greg? So if we're going to start talking about calories in, calories out, then we need to actually start defining what is a calorie. Because people like to think of calories as an actual physical thing. It's not. A calorie is actually a unit of heat. It is mm-hmm. the, a One calorie is equivalent to the energy required to heat a gram of water to by one degree that Celsius. Be gram of water by one degree. And uh, also the calories that you get from food usually are measured in uh, kilocalories, thousand calories. Mm-hmm. So when, when you, on my fitness pal, track a calorie, that's actually a thousand calories. So enough energy to heat a liter of water by one degree. Mm-hmm. God, I love science. <laughs> that is cool. But, okay, so when Stop we start- Stop your feet on the floor. What's wrong with Carry on. Actually, it's your middle name. I feel like if you're going to keep being a nuisance, we should be able to like full name you. Lawrence. Now, what would you think it is? Lawrence. I'm an Irish man. What would you think my middle name is? Oh, I really, I really hope it is. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You're Gregory Patrick. <laughs> Gregory Patrick phony, you stop stamping your feet right now. Oh, Statistically God. speaking, it's Mohammed. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Mohammed Smith, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Outstanding work. So. As Greg was saying, to actually achieve fat loss, you need to be in a mild calorie deficit. You can go major, but there are certain implications that will take into account your um, your well, genetic background, what your overall um, intake outtake is gonna be over the course of not just weeks, but also months and years. And ultimately, we need to start looking into why fat loss is actually beneficial for you, because evolutionarily speaking, you want, to be <laughs> you want to be chub. You, you want, want to make sure you can survive through winter. So let's start talking about how the mechanism of fat loss actually happens. In what perspective? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so basically in terms of, right, Jane comes in. Jane says, right, I need to lose some weight for my wedding. Brilliant. How do we go about doing that? Well, first you need to start off by finding out how much she is eating at the moment. What's her current maintenance? which could be the same as her hypothetical calculated maintenance based on all the equations you'll find online, equally depending on what she's been doing and her genetics and hormonal environment, it could be something completely different. So we are taking an educated stab in the dark Yeah. when we estimate your BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate, which explain would be your calories you burn 
sat down all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so to maintain the way that you currently are. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Um so we would try first we would calculate their basal metabolic rate, yeah. determine how much training they do, try and calculate that in and take possibly two, three hundred calories from it. Yeah, and their job, take that into account what mm-hmm. they do is for a living, to figure out their not only their physical activity level, but their non-exercise activity level. Mm-hmm. Which are all gonna add to the bigger picture of how many calories you burn in a day, which is gonna give us a number that we need to use to figure out how to get you to start losing fat, where to draw those calories from to give you a deficit. Okay, so something really important that you mentioned there that I think is probably one of the things that people take into account the least when they're looking at overall fat loss because ultimately once you take into account, as you said, a starting point, Mm -hmm. calculating a deficit based on how much they're training and realistically what they can handle, Mm -hmm. you then need to take into account external environmental factors. So primarily, job, stress, lifestyle. How are all these things gonna impact fat loss? Because I think especially, and I'm gonna take a big general sweeping statement here, specifically for women, the big thing is that everyone's looking at, oh, why are you not losing weight as fast as Jenny on you know page 10 of Cosmo? First lawsuit, brilliant. Jenny on page 10 of Cosmo. She's not. <laughs> she is. <laughs> she probably is hard. She's on page 10 of Cosmo, she's probably hard. But why? They basically go, like, why am I not losing the, you know, the weight that Jenny is? And then, taking that into account, what, my lifestyle, how is that affecting me? So let's start talking about stress, because ultimately, stress kills fat loss. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, let, we'll get briefly into the hormonal response. So generally, chronic stress, because we spoke yes. about this before. So if we talk about chronic stress being consistent day in, day out, Technically, low systemic stress when we talk about yeah, so low grade acute, like acute stress like stress short term would actually cause fat loss yeah so like epinephrine norepinephrine or adrenaline as most people would consider it so that immediate response to a dangerous situation say yeah. will aid in fat loss and mobilize fat for mm-hmm. energy and then but then as that comes I suppose a little bit more system I suppose a little bit more chronic or consistent it will turn into something Called, won't turn into something, you'll start to release something called cortisol, which will be very detrimental yeah. to your fat loss. Um, so it can be caused by general lifestyle issues, so too much stress at home, poor relationships, 10 kids, whatever it may be, or it can be caused by... He's Irish. I was about to say, 10 kids, are you <laughs> or, mad? Or by extreme calorie deficits, quite rapidly. Or by, in fairness, by any calorie deficit, you will start to release a little bit more cortisol. Yeah. There, will be, so there will be some cortisol release. The body always adapts to the things that you throw at it. So if you mm-hmm. give it a calorie deficit, it goes, we haven't got enough food, start conserving energy. Mm-hmm. So, and that will, our cause also increases muscle breakdown mm-hmm. as well, which means that of the weight that you do lose, a lower percentage of it will be fat and a slightly higher percentage will be muscle, provided you don't put things into place to maintain that muscle mass. So if, if we discuss cortisol in that matter, so it will break down protein or muscle mass to feed your energy deficit, we need to look at what is, protein sparing is more protein. Yeah. So the vast majority of our clients that come in, they will go onto a much higher protein diet than they're used to at the moment. Which people can find difficult to start because it will be much more, it'll be much more voluminous in food. And um, into a different, like the, the next episode, maybe we could talk about the benefits of protein because the benefits of protein for fat loss are massive. Mm. Just to briefly mention them, hyothermic effect, meaning that you burn more calories processing it than you do with other macronutrients. Uh, it'll keep you fuller for longer and it'll help maintain muscle mass just as a brief form of it. Yeah. So keeping protein in your diet and doing some weight training is gonna help you maintain that muscle mass while you're in this calorie deficit. 
So we'll offset some of the effects of cortisol, offset cortisol. basically. Um, any, more, any more cues or quotes there for cortisol? Break it down. Causes slow, will slow down fat loss and it will cause some muscle loss, in theory. In theory. Is that, so is, is that our brief overview of how cortisol is going to affect this? Yeah, and like, like I said, there is one, which we'll get to in a little bit more in the next episode, there is one macronutrient that tends to lower cortisol quite well, and that's carbohydrate. Yes. So you'll, you'll find quite regularly with people that go into calorie deficits and go low carbohydrate, it does work at the beginning, but you, then you will get that chronic cortisol release. So sometimes, as you do a lot of your clients, is refeed days. Refeed days. So have high carbohydrate days to lower this cortisol response, and also lose in turn lose some of that water weight. Mm -hmm. And I think I think the big thing to take away from this though is that we're talking about how stress kills fat loss because ultimately having external stress factors is going to lead to an elevated production of cortisol in the body, which is going to downregulate a lot of other different hormonal processes within the body that aid fat loss. So for example, when you have high levels of cortisol, you're going to have lower levels of testosterone, mm -hmm. which is going to put you in a situation where it's going to be harder for you to maintain muscle mass overall. I was thinking about it today, actually. I did mention the other one, but there was one proposed theory which I saw about uh, how cortisol affects leptin. And cortisol may block the blood-brain barrier, mm -hmm. meaning that uh, when it's elevated, which means that leptin can't get to the hypothalamus to feed back how much energy you've got available. So even if your calories are high, uh, like you're not in a calorie deficit, uh, and your cortisol is high, you could still get some uh, reduction in metabolic rate just through the the blocking of access leptin has to the hypothalamus. Potentially, I don't know whether that's been uh, confirmed, but that was one theory that I'd read. So, Mind so even if you're not in a calorie deficit, cortisol can cause slowing of met uh, metabolism. And like again, we spoke about that, I know in our many attempts to create this first episode, was that constant ebb and flow, so that up and down that you tend to get with yo-yo dieters and that increased cortisol and that breakdown of muscle, so that every time you come back through the cycle, you are, you have a lower muscle mass than you had the time before, and each time you're going to have a lower basal metabolic rate, all because of this cycle of increasing and lowering cortisol through that cycle. So something we'll probably get to discuss a little bit further so like the hormonal responses of it tend are a huge are a huge aspect and it's something that we can control obviously without blood panels it's a little bit more difficult but it is something we can control to a certain extent and do you want to get into a little bit more about how we can well i think it's worth giving a broad overview i mean you've mentioned how carbohydrates have a very positive impact in controlling cortisol and carbohydrates for the most part especially in this stage of um, fitness culture are still being relatively demonized mm -hmm. even though when you take into account what the evidence-based community is saying is that ultimately as a fuel source, carbohydrates are infinitely superior to fat because they break down substantially easier and get into the blood well, system. Most of the, uh, most of the research has shown that, that one, when protein is controlled, carbohydrates and fats don't make that much difference yeah. at all between, between um, the ratios that you're going to eat them. I think a lot of the, um, the data there, though, is skewed by uh, pooling, by when they pool the data. So they'll mm -hmm. take loads of people and they'll say, overall, it didn't have much difference. But what you'll probably find is that some people will do very good on high carbohydrate, lower fat. Some people will do very good on whatever the one I didn't just say was. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I can remember what? What the one we keep inside the mystery box. Yeah. But yeah, and I think it's very much worth, if we're going to quickly just touch on hormones, just revert 
back to cortisol and basically talk about how, right, so when we have an elevated level of cortisol within the body, okay, we talked about how that is going to reduce the amount of testosterone that's in the body. In the body. This is also going to affect the amount of estrogen that is in the body. This is highly negative for both men and women um, for the purposes of not just um, being a general healthy human being, but also for keeping one's muscle mass while you're in a calorie deficit. Because ultimately, the big takeaway from this, guys, is that you can't escape the fact that to lose fat, you need to create an energy deficit within the body. But if you do not regulate external factors that are gonna have a direct impact on your hormone levels, then you're gonna put yourself in a situation where the body is basically gonna go, nope, I've had enough of this, and start down-regulating other hormonal processes within the body to stop you from burning fat. Because like we said just a few minutes ago, fat storage is an evolutionary survival mechanism. It is the reason why the people with the quote unquote slower metabolism are the ones that would survive the ice age. That friend you know that just can't put on weight to save their lives and eat whatever the hell they want, they wouldn't have made it through the ice age. I'll be dead by now. Yeah, <laughs> Ken would have been dead by now. But it's funny, like the longer you remain at a particular weight, it does become, and like the science is, a, science is a bit sketchy, but when you talk about a set point, if you maintain a certain body fat for an awful long time, your body does recognize that and it builds an endocrine system around that visceral fat. So it will fight you to lose that fat and it when you drop significant weight at your previous weight your body is fighting to get back until you create that new set point really devastating bits of data showed that um when extreme levels of fat loss occurred and and the body will set things in place to fight that they they checked in with people who lost significant amounts of weight and they found that i think it was seven years later up to seven years later their body hadn't adapted to the new body weight versus the old one mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's as long as they've said. So we can, all we can say is that at least up to seven years after you've lost that weight, your body is still gonna fight you to get, fight back, to you to get back to it. And I, and I think a big thing worth touching on there before we continue on to the hormone um, section of this and you know we start talking about appetite regulation and control and give a brief overview of that is the fact that Ultimately, when we're talking about, as you said, it can take up to seven years for your body to actually go, hang on, Cali this is my information. That the, so the metabolism didn't return back to normal until they got refat. That is fascinating. Yeah. So, so it wasn't just that it, it didn't get, the, the metabolism won't go back to its peak metabolic rate until you were as fat as you left off, basically, and have the muscle mass, so lean muscle mass and fat riches that you This is why we speak about that over and over again, is the, the maintenance of lean muscle mass is huge in your fat loss journey. And going up, so gaining fat doesn't have a, uh, doesn't have a significant effect, it's come down, which means that the worst thing, if you never want to be fat, the worst thing you can do is get fat, because it's always going to be harder to get leaner and to maintain the weight because you want. Oh, oh preach, like, I've, I've had the exact same experience, like being a really, really fat teenager, like I was, probably, I was fat until I was in my 20s, and then when I finally got my shit together, like I found it substantially harder to move past a set point. Like I would get down to sort of about 85 kilos, feel better about myself, and then sort of just, that was the point where like things got really, really mm -hmm. difficult. Um, but I mean, I think it's just worth touching on the fact that while we're talking about this, you know, and I know that we've spoken about this as professionals, not just mates, but people come into this place and they're like, right, I need to lose 30 pounds in 12 weeks. <laughs> And they've got this really warped expectation for their fat loss journey. No, we laugh, but how many times have you that, has that happened yeah. to you? Mm -hmm. People overestimate what they can do in a 12-week period, but dramatically underestimate what they can do in a year. And ultimately, fat loss, if you were actively trying to just lose fat, not digits on the scale, 
which are just weight. They're not mm. representative of any actual specific tissue loss. You're going to be in a situation where going you're to going to, yeah, it's, got to, it's going to be slow and you're going to have to dedicate time to it. We've got that, like, I mean, and it's funny, like, you, you'll take people in after a month and I'll be like, you know, you can say to them, you lost two pounds of fat. And they'll go, oh, oh, that's shit. And you'll go, so we've got that actually little model, even though you've been picking at it for the past year. We've got a model of a pound, <laughs> we've got a model of a pound of fat in the room where we test people's body fat. And the actual mass of it is huge. Yeah. And if you put two of them beside each other, it's a huge mass of fat. But mm. people don't recognize that as significant because it's two pounds. It's an arbitrary number in terms of weight loss. But in terms of fat loss, two pounds is huge so in a month. Much. Huge in a month. And like I said, so we, we, we go over and over and over again. People have to check their expectations when it comes yeah. to fat loss because it is a slow process. If you want to make reasonable and sustainable fat loss, it's a long-term game. It is not short-term. I think that there's, obviously as trainers, we've, all, we've probably all noticed it, that when people stress out as well about that, that just increases cause and makes fat loss harder. So when you're not seeing the, what the, that fat loss you were expecting, you think, oh, I thought I'd lost five pounds in the first two weeks, and, and they don't see it, then they stress out and they beat themselves up about it, which makes fat loss even harder. So the worst thing you do is have stupidly high expectations. And unfortunately, that tends to be, for the vast majority of people who, so if, we, if we're talking about sexes here, it tends to be females who stress a little bit more about it. From well, that's from my own my own anecdotal viewing, I suppose. And it tends to be women who stress that a little bit more, and all of a sudden it's impeding their fat loss when females, as a gender, tend to struggle with fat loss anyway. Yeah, because you're more valuable to the species. I mean, come on, like that's no, but it's true. Oh, don't be <laughs> like that, guys. But no, it's true. Like at the end of the day, we are designed to be genetic cannon fodder yeah. as men, and women are the ones who are designed to propagate the species. Which is why men can lose a serious amount of body fat, get down to an incredibly low lean um, body fat percentage, and it won't overall affect their sex drive. Whereas women get to a certain set point, and mm. the body just goes, nope, reproductive system is going down. We were, just, is, we were talking about that. Like, didn't say that. Like, within four weeks of calorie deficit, a woman's reproductive, so a woman's cycle can be interrupted or impeded after four weeks, four weeks of a calorie deficit. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that's just shows. I guess it's it's something uh, like McDonald says a lot. Like, um, like, like obviously. With the guy, the, a, a guy walks into the gym and he's essentially the same every time. He's got like the testosterone levels, cortisol levels are relatively consistent. Whereas women, because of the, they also have their menstrual cycle, their estrogen, progesterone, uh, luteinizing hormone, all these things are in f constant fluctuation, meaning that they could come into the gym on any two days and be a different, like have a different physiology. And 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 his his quote is kind of like like women have a different month to month. Their cycle is one month and they can change, whereas guys just have a 65 long cycle of being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, but that's, I mean that, that's really significant to think about in terms of, like, because unfortunately, as a society, we've elevated women to this pedestal where they have to be thin with big asses and big boobs, when realistically, that's not, re that's not how genetically we've been predisposed to be. No. So women have been given this, but like I said, men are genetically supposed to be lean and strong to fight for the most yeah. part or to protect their family. Women are supposed to be, are supposed to carry more body fat in order to protect mm -hmm. their children. Yeah, because our Evolutionarily fight, speaking. Evolutionary speaking. Yeah, exactly, because we adrenalize quicker than women and ultimately our fight or flight response is, is so sharp to the point where, you know, say if tiger comes in, I'm gonna go fight it. Making Mine's sure. Definitely. But that's the point. Like, that's, 
<laughs> self-proposed beta male. But, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like ultimately, like men are the ones that are designed to go and be expendable. We're the ones who are meant to make the stupid decision of right. I am going to go fight this saber-toothed tiger. Occupy it while the kids and wife can run, mm. because they're more valuable. Which is why we do stupid things. Yeah. Why, <laughs> which is why men are more likely to die first. Which there is a lad Bible, actually specific monthly video of why men die first. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. All the time. Do you, remember, do you remember like ages ago there was like the uh, the vodka challenge going around? Yeah. Like down an entire people bottle were of vodka. dying. Yeah, people and were it actively was only dying. Dudes. It was only yeah. dudes. There was no girls doing it. Because if you went up to a girl, don't be a pussy, drink this bottle of vodka. They'd be like, no, don't call me a pussy. Don't call me a pussy, I'll show you. <laughs> Greg just shaking his fist in the afterlife. Like, I'll show you, random guy. <laughs> okay, so we are actively going to start talking about appetite hormones because I think we need to start bringing this a little bit back on track. Why do why people fund? Why do people fundamentally get fat in terms of um, how the appetite regulating hormones are affected through stress, um, eating highly, highly processed shit foods? And ultimately, calorically how dense as well, which I think yeah, is a yeah. major part of that. Like this is what it comes down to. And I'll do it again to the cycle. The food that tastes eating. the best is the food which is most calorically dense. Like the more calories you can fit into a smaller space, the better that thing's going to mm-hmm. taste. So, and, and and the more of it you can then eat, and the fatter you then get. Mm-hmm. Calorie denseness, like genuinely, like bamboozles me because like I understand how I understand how it works. Like I'm a good cook. I can just put as much butter in things as I want. It's the French way of cooking. But when you look at like. A Toblerone triangle. Yeah. That's like 150 calories. And you're like, it doesn't look like a fucking thing. You're like, I've eaten whole bars of this. Like, so you can literally put away 2,000 calories of Toblerone in about 20 minutes. Exactly. But it's like, <laughs> but it's not even that. Like, Ben and Jerry's. I got pint of. Oh, I like how you're just becoming our self-professed fat kid. <laughs> but like, how like a tub of Ben and Jerry's can be so calorie dense, considering like you can just smash that in less than a minute. Easily, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. I mean, like, like it's no much, joke. I think we all know. How much like there. straight double cream could you drink? Like, probably not that much. No, but you put sugar in there, mm. and it's it's there's no more. Like, there's very little more extra uh, extra matter. Mm. But you could just. Go to town on that. Mm. I feel this is going to be our version of the vodka challenge. Hey, Greg, drink this pint of cream with sugar. <laughs> How much whipping cream can you drink <laughs> before the gas makes him pass out? <laughs> okay, so when we talk about appetite regulating hormones, we need to start, I think, the conversation with leptin. Yes. Okay, so leptin is basically what I would refer to as a kind of the mass, one of the master hormones in regards mm-hmm. to appetite regulation. And when leptin is produced, that then signals production of ghrelin, which is primarily your main hunger hormone. So the thing that makes you go, oh, when, when leptin isn't released. So when, sorry, when leptin isn't released, that's when ghrelin is produced and you go, oh, damn. I yeah. need to get me some tasty points. So we're getting into hormones again a bit too. We'll go, we'll, go, we'll go briefly through these. Like, so like, Le- leptin, what leptin does is it'll feed back to the body for making it simple, how much energy you have available. So if you have more fat or more calories coming in, it'll tell the brain, We've got enough energy, keep metabolism high. If you eat less, leptin will go down and it'll tell the brain, we haven't got enough energy coming in, lower metabolism. Okay, and that's true. So then you have something like leptin that's released from the fat cells, when then you've got, this, you've got other hormones that are released from 
the lining of your intestines which will regulate satiety in response to the food you actually eat. Now we'll get into it at a later stage, it's actually really interesting how each of these hormones tend to respond to different macronutrients and it could be fat loss of the future where they can actually test which one you're dominant in to see which diet will actually suit you. Yeah. This could happen someday so we don't That's have to just sense. throw enough shit at the wall and some of it sticks. We have really, really just kind of undermined in our whole industry. <laughs> Nobody's going to come to us now. We just, we, we just guess, guys, seriously. <laughs> educated guess. <laughs> it, is, it is educated guess. Like, I mean, just one, one, yeah, moment, one, moment, one moment, one moment, one moment, one moment. A highly, highly, highly educated guess. We're all so smart. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so, but this, this is the thing. Yeah, we are getting a little bit too into hormones, but the thing that Greg highlighted there, which I really, really liked, is the fact that leptin levels go down, okay, when you are in a calorie deficit, which actually says to the body, hey, let's actually start down-regulating the metabolism, mm -hmm. okay? So this brings us on to a very, very interesting point, because ultimately, if in layman's terms, it is just as simple as energy in, energy out, why can't you just stay in a calorie deficit forever and ever and well, ever? Because, as just mentioned about leptin, so leptin will then lower your metabolism. If you stay in an energy deficit, but I think it was uh, leptin levels reduced by 50% in five days. Uh, bringing us back again to the benefits of a, of a refeed day. And he's, he's, I mean, we've gone through this a couple of times before. Now, metabolism won't drop by 50% no, no, obviously no. within those days, but it is considerable to think that if leptin goes down that much, there will be a response there to ghrelin and ghrelin generally. Yes. Now, like, don't get me wrong, there's millions of studies on leptin and it's so complicated, it is complicated, so interesting and complicated, but Generally speaking, that will be very true. Mm. So, and also like consistent calorie deficit, obviously with that horrible, so like people will stay in this calorie deficit for a long time and all of a sudden they've stopped, because this was a lot of McDonald's as well, wasn't it? They'll stop losing weight, although they are in a calorie deficit. And it can actually be a response because as that cortisol goes up, you'll start to retain water also, yes. especially if you're low carbohydrate. So if you actually eat carbohydrate, you'll lower that aldosterone, you'll lower that cortisol. And well, I haven't seen it personally, but there's like, there's like, anecdotal stuff of like literally women like losing eight pounds in two days now yeah. that's not fat that would be water weight but wow yeah, I, mean, they, I mean that's they, a huge response just from they've, they, they've been losing that fat, fat but, they just for the person, but they haven't seen it yet because mm. the water retention has been masking it mm. once you lose the water weight then you see that the, so, the, the result of what you've been working on yeah so like i mean like calorie deficit obviously is key but you've done that quite well with all your clients is judging by how what their eating habits are like whether they go calorie deficit for four weeks and have two weeks of maintenance mm -hmm. or if they go five low too high if they can if they're that good with their calories it's an amazing way yeah. just to maintain consistent fat loss more than anything else it's, it's it's the new kind of idea of uh, intermittent caloric restriction mm -hmm. where you're not going oh we're going to be mostly in the calorie deficit and a couple of days higher you're going to go well we're going to hit maintenance but then we're going to take calories away from these days and then your body won't try and second guess us and adapt mm -hmm. and, and beat us and that's why i really like the way that like i think we've all kind of set up our nutrition with our clients in terms of that intermittent caloric um, caloric restriction is the way that when people go into calorie deficits for the most part they go in super hard like they go like mm. they go just straight hard out of the gate and they end up in the situation when they're not just eating a shitload less but they're moving a shitload more and ultimately you can only burn candles at both ends yeah. for so long before there is a massive implication to like greg said the reduction in your base metabolic rate but there's a finite point to that because Ultimately, when you get people who come in and say, oh, I only eat 800 calories a day and I can't lose weight. It's like, well, let's start talking about the fact that your metabolism won't just downregulate that far. It will start. You couldn't get out of bed. 
Yeah, exactly. Struggle to anyway. Exactly. So there has to be a level where we start talking about the down regulation of external factors such as NEAT. NEAT, yeah. NEAT is a huge... So in, in most of the studies that show uh, reduction in calorie burn, calories burned in response to a calorie deficit, uh, the vast, vast majority of that comes in the form of NEAT. So NEAT being non-exercise activity thermogenesis, uh, which is the calories that you burn uh, doing things which aren't exercise. So if you go for a walk, uh, fidgeting, uh, the efficiency of your movements, because that's one thing that people neglect. Is the that thermic effect of food. Thermic effect, no, that's that's the thermic effect of food. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> wow, way to drop the ball there, big shoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's the calories that you burn outside. So when you um, start eating fewer calories, your body will take that. And as that leptin feeds back to the brain to say, we haven't got as much energy available, stop wasting so much. So it's not that your metabolism, will, your metabolism will just automatically drop. It'll be that your body will start, you'll fidget less. You'll give off less heat. Uh, you'll become more efficient with movements. Meaning, so, so there's, there's almost imperceivable um, movements in your hands and feet as you walk, and that will, that will be reduced. Uh, you'll get home at the end of a long day, and, and you'll go, I'm just so tired, I can't move, I'm just going to do nothing. You, get, you feel so fatigued when you're in a long-term calorie deficit. And I'm sure most people who are listening to this, all of one, my mother, <laughs> might realize that being in long-term calorie deficits, probably everyone's been through that horrible yeah. feeling. You, you just that feel that fatigue. Feeling. And that's your body down-regulating the amount of energy that you burn. So if you're in that severe energy deficit, your body will go, fuck you, mm. I'm gonna burn less. So you're not gonna see the fat loss which you were expecting to see. And like it's, we were speaking about it the other day, like the effects of meal timing on circadian rhythm, which is really, really interesting, as you might see, and its effect on NEAT. So now, before anyone jumps on us, there's not, it's not proven yet, they're not really sure why, but the timing of your eating can determine your NEAT throughout the day. So, I was talking to James McCarthy. I know, James had a really good point. But, I but, feel like it's, it'll be swings and roundabouts. Because you're just going to be burning more fat earlier in the day. You're going to be burning more stored fat earlier in the day mm -hmm. and replenishing it later in the day mm -hmm. versus using what you're burning as you burn it off. And I feel like the net difference would be negligible. Mm. That's just a feeling. We'll see. Like I say, we haven't, seen, we haven't got all the data that we need yet to make that assessment. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a shame that we have so many people that come into us and the majority of them are being underfed. And... I mean, I'm, I'm gonna talk about this from like more of a personal perspective, but so in regards to what you were saying about, you know, you get home at the end of the day and you just crash out. So what I found is that when I went, I went through a breakup relatively recently and I just didn't wanna eat because my cortisol levels were so high, I wasn't producing as much leptin and my appetite regulation was completely off. So I ended up eating less and less and less. I was losing more and more weight until I got to a point where not only was you know my my sex drive completely impeded. No, but this don't is laugh at it. Don't laugh. No, no, but no, but it's I'm so like, true. I've been planning this joke for some stage in this podcast. He <laughs> broke up with his missus, masturbated so much that he snapped his bicep. That is a fact. <laughs> I also snapped my bicep. It was that's not how it happened. Thanks for that, Greg. But anyway, but yeah. So I basically got to the point where we did because say we were going to talk about erectile dysfunction. <laughs> we need to do, we need to do like an episode on erectile. dysfunction function at some point. Yeah. Oh. Really? Jeez, that's too close to the bone. Too close to the bone? <laughs> <laughs> We've gone so long without making a decent dick joke and we just have. like fit three in in the last minute. <laughs> so yeah, I was at the point where I was down regulating 
in all other aspects of my life. So I was waking up and I was feeling increasingly more depressed, which didn't help because I wasn't actually doing anything beneficial in my workout to with my diet to help me feel better. And you know, like I've said this to so many of my clients, specifically like my male ones, that at the end of the day, as a dude or as a chick, you need to wake up happy, hungry, and horny. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you wake up and you go, right, I'm hungry, my metabolism is, is firing, it's working. If I'm happy, brilliant because ultimately that is the single most important thing. And am I horny, right? At the end of the day, as we talked about earlier, are you gonna be in a situation where your body is in such calorie deficit that it's down-regulating your want to reproduce and propagate the species? Which is kind of a part of being in the calorie deficit though, because because your body's got, uh, it, it kind of goes off the back of what you were saying the other day about how, like, I guess we're all really built for reproduction. Like, like your, the whole purpose of your life is to propagate DNA your body's either going to try and repair the system that it's got, or it's going to try and make you reproduce. And if you haven't got enough energy uh, available to you to provide for a, a child, it's going to, uh, your body's going to assume that you haven't got enough food to provide for a child, so it's going to shut down um, reproductive systems to try and keep you alive, which is why when you are in a prolonged calorie deficit, you may lose a little bit of sex drive, but it should not be so severe that it goes completely. Mm-hmm. And that's when you, but that's exactly my point is when you take into account all these additional like compounding factors that then lead to you slowing down your metabolism, having a shit training experience, having a shit life experience, it's no wonder that you're eventually going to go, oh, well, you know what? Fuck it, give me some Krispy Kremes. Yeah. And then start piling all that weight back on, which is so symptomatic of the yo yo dieter. And I think this, this is where the, the benefit of intermittent caloric restriction comes in again, where it, it, it's the shift from you're not on a diet with a few high days. You're on normal, and then you just create your calorie deficit from a few low days. Yeah. And that way, your body never has the time to put those adaptions into place where you aren't getting the energy that you need, and, and, it, and it can lower your uh, other systems, like reproduction. And- exactly. And the thing is, it's, what I like about the intermittent caloric restriction system is the fact that you can literally tailor it however suits you. Like, you, like you and I don't really track our food. at the moment but we kind of eat the same things day in day out so we know what we're doing and then if we need to create create a caloric restriction Kane will either chuck in a couple of low days in all honesty based on like the things that I'm reading about and experimenting at the moment within my own personal diet I intermittent fast like I'll I'll have a like a 16 to 24 hour fast and that'll be it Mm -hmm. and then I'll be I'll be you know happy and ready to go it's no drama and I've done it in a way that has impacted my life if I'm going off on a wedding or whatever then no shit, I'm not gonna fast. Mm-hmm. So I can just add my low days in at another point. Yeah, it is a lifestyle approach. It has to be for it's everybody. You. It has to work for you. Because what, what it comes down to is like, like the base of the pyramid is calories. It's gotta be a calorie balance. But underneath that, the whole thing's underpinned by consistency. So if you can't maintain something, then it, it's useless to you. But every, every, every diet is based on the concept of caloric restriction. Yeah. So, when you're pitched something or a detox or whatever it may be, they'll generally come with the same aspect. So it's like exercise more, sleep better, or and drink these juices. It's like no shit. So basic lifestyle changes to improve your life and a calorie restriction. That's all it is. It, but yeah. the problem you've got to find is you've got to find which one is sustainable for you. Mm-hmm. So there's a million different approaches. We've got to find out which one is sustainable for you. Exactly. And the thing is, I think from our professional experience as well, like. Like I've done intermittent fasting, I've done keto, I've done carb cycling, carb backloading, carb night, I've tried damn near every single nutritional program under the sun. And ultimately, 
you got to find what works for you. And that means putting in the time to research or hire a professional that's going to do that for you and go through a, you know, a, a systemic approach that's going to go, right, this is your lifestyle. These are the foods you like. This is the way you enjoy eating. How can we tailor that towards your goals? And that's kind of where we come in. Like that is our job is to do a lifestyle MOT for you and go, right, to get you to your goals, we need to make these level of changes as opposed to people being left to their own devices, signing up for three years in advance of Juice Plus and then just going, oh, well, shit, now I'm poor or fatter and okay. unhappier. Okay. Juice, Juice Plus will sue us. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah you can't say that. They won't find Phil us. Phil Lurney puts it really, really well though. Like, Rogan's not even my real name. <laughs> Phil Lurney puts it really, really well. It's modifications, not changes. And it is, it's modifications to lifestyle rather than drastic sweeping yeah. changes. And like, what was that thing Danny Lennon said? What was the thing Danny Lennon said in Sigma Nutrition? It was pretty, it's like, from the great philosopher Homer, who's actually Homer Simpson. No, nobody really changes, or they do, and then quickly change back. <laughs> yeah. It's true, like, I mean, no, very, have you ever had a client? I've had one, and he was so thick, he would actually, he would actually chew coal if I told him to, but it's the reason why he was quite successful at this. And um, <laughs> nobody, changes overnight. No, but no client that I've ever met has come from a very poor, low nutrient, calorie dense diet to meat and veg. I've never met a client that's done it. I th yeah, I think it's a case that some people will do that, but they're not the type of people who kind of they're the kind of people who will Google it themselves. Yeah, they Google it, figure it out, and go. Because mm. that's what I did. I like I I didn't ease into it at all. I, I read everything I needed to read about it and then I just started doing it. But mm. the kind of people who get into fitness aren't the type of people like like we're, we're weird. Like the type yeah. of people who like who yeah. really enjoy this are weird. We're not normal, mm. so yeah, like you can't really compare the general public to the things that we would do. I'd never have a client come in and go, "Oh, this is what worked for me." So you have to do it. I'd go, "Well, what's worked? You know, yeah. what, what's yeah. going to work for this person?" Well, it's like I like I remember starting powerlifting and just going, "Okay, cool. I'm going to read everything on Westside that I can find." One week later, went hard in the paint. Like just <laughs> just go, just hit the ground running. And like you said, that's not the majority of people. Yeah. But I think. I don't know, I think that when we start looking at clients, ultimately, you're exactly right, we need to find what works for them, but ultimately, it's always gonna come down to a case of highly dense nutrient foods. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, With, so 80% yeah. whole foods. I mean, I mean, it, it, it gets so simple when, after you break down everything, so when you get into all the hormonal aspects and everything, it'll generally be, like we say to everyone, eat protein and eat veggies. Yeah. You said, like we talked about the other day, it's like eat protein and eat veggies. Most of the um, time, um, most of the time, eat protein and veggies. Oh, no, it's, it's simple. It's fucking hard to do, mm. but it's simple. Like, like m the majority of people, this advice will work. Whatever you're doing now, keep doing it, but stop, stop snacking in between meals, mm -hmm. okay? Once you stop snacking in between meals, you'll create that calorie deficit, and it's likely that you'll feel hungrier. So to stop you feeling hungrier, eat more protein and eat more vegetables. Like if you do like those three things, stop snacking between meals and make each meal based around protein and vegetables, you're gonna be 80% the way that. So it'll either be the volume of the food will make you feel full or your hormonal response to fiber and protein will make you feel full. Yeah. So it's a two-pronged approach. It's, it's brilliant, like, yeah. but it's just hard. It's, it's hard, hard to, to do, do. yeah, it's hard, it's hard to, to do. do. And, and that's the thing, like, did you guys watch Mike Isretel's TED Talk? No, I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes a re like. Don't get me wrong. Like, it, I'll um, I'll see if I can attach the link to it on mm. the description of this podcast. But I think one of the most genius things he mentions there is the fact that if you rely on willpower, you are fucked from the get go. Simply because your willpower will, will run out long before habitual practices do. Mm -hmm. If you start trying to make good nutritional habits ingrained into the way that you live your life, by the time you actually need to get to that point where it's you know. Right, I've just booked a holiday. 
I need to get my life in gear. You are 90% of the way there because you know how to make good nutritional decisions for the majority of the time. And then when it actually comes to saying like, right, I got 12 weeks till I need to be shredded on the beach, boom, I can go into this artificially created environment and say, right, I'm gonna run this calorie deficit, do what I need to do, get on that plane, get out on that beach, take my shirt off and get a margarita and look great doing it. As opposed to saying, right, I've got to try and live this sort of shredded for life lifestyle. So people like that and that's great. Like, I mean, I'd, I would love to be able to live that lifestyle of shape all year round. But for the vast majority of people, it's impossible. Any, yeah, you've, got to be, you've got to be a special kind of individual mm-hmm. to be able to do that the whole time. But people, think, genetically people think we do that. Like, yeah. I mean, this is the thing, it's the funny thing about clients. They would expect to walk upstairs uh, in our, where we work. We tend to sit upstairs when we're not actually working and they expect us to see us. Most of the time we do, but they expect us to see, they expect to see us eating meat and vegetables. Sometimes they come up and we're all eating Cocoa Pops. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> we have figured out the loopholes yeah. to stay in reasonable that's, shape. That's, that's why we all get into this. We get into this to figure out how to get what we want with the bare minimum effort. <laughs> it's a biohack. It's a, it's a biohack. <laughs> Don't be that guy. It is. <laughs> Post-workout post Cocoa Pops also are the key to everything. And entirely, oh, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, post-workout Cocoa Pops is at least 300% more anabolic than steroids. Than the fact. No, it's steroids. <laughs> I'll throw it out there. Cocoa 300% pops. More, co- more Cocoa Pops than, than steroids, yeah? That's what you said, wasn't it? Words. Words. Me fell English, that's impossible. It's our first episode, guys. <laughs> and it was doing so well. attempt of our first episode. <laughs> yeah, why, why, is this, why is this our third attempt, Gregory? Because Kane's a racist. <laughs> <laughs> Xenophobe. <laughs> Xenophobe. Fancy word. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's fine. We just hate everyone regardless. <laughs> uh, it's, Look, but that's like, the thing. I, I, I like the fact that what I've taken away from listening to you guys talk about everything else though is the fact that once you make, the, once you understand the process that you're actually going to need to go through in order to achieve your goals and you build that into a habitual lifestyle practice. Do, do, actually, before you finish, do me a favour. Have you seen the thing that Alan Aragon shared about Gary Tubbs' tweet? No, what was it? Right, you're going to have to tag it below, right? So anybody who's trying to research, they'll come across certain people or certain things who will disregard the calorie or energy in, energy out equation. And you'll so s- physics. So the basic laws <laughs> of physics, right? So Gary Tabs is one of these guys who discusses and Alan Aragon's actually, like, after sharing one of his tweets and absolutely destroys it, and it's embarrassing. Just see if, see if you can um, put it, it in the link below. Yeah. Was when was it recent? It was yesterday, I'm sure it was oh, yesterday it? that he did it. Yeah. Oh my god. I can't wait to read well, it. We'll, we'll get that and then we'll try and win the internet. We will win the internet. We will win the internet. <laughs> but anyway, like I was saying, just what I've taken away from listening to you two talk about everything else is saying that once you've built in this habitual lifestyle practice in regards to your food and you understand the nutritional practices, that is when you have a greater degree of flexibility with the foods you can enjoy. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Which like you said- the decisions you make. Yeah, and I know you were joking, you know, ultimately saying, yeah, the reason we got into this is ultimately to be able to lift weights for a living and to be able to eat the food that we want. Mm-hmm. But when you actually understand the process that goes that behind both gaining muscle and losing fat, there are a lot of things you can do to get away mm. with eating the foods that you like. And ultimately, we've talked about this so many times, there is no such thing as a quote unquote bad food because this whole food shaming thing that we've got from people who are obsessed with being like, right, I am strict paleo or whatever, is one of the like most negatively polarizing things about our industry. Because you'll get it, like you see it, like you see it all the time. You'll get a client who comes into you and you have your weekly meeting with them. You sit down, you say, "How's your week been? Good." Except yesterday, I had a muffin. 
and you're like so this week you've had a muffin and that was the only quote unquote bad food you've had that is amazing that is amazing. well done that yeah. is absolutely amazing but they're like they're like guilt <laughs> they feel bad about this one muffin and, and you're, you're like, like one muffin's a meal like two, like two weeks ago <laughs> you were having that muffin every day plus everything else on top of it and, I take away <laughs> and even one muffin and you're disappointed that's ridiculous you've been saying it's like before, before I even got here I had six cans of beer <laughs> <laughs> I still like, maintain I still maintain you coach better when drunk I still maintain I drive better when drunk <laughs> That's why Greg is always our designated drunk driver. That is Greg Patrick Foley. Yeah, okay, sure. um, but it's true, like, I mean, the idea, like, of, like, habitual changes is key. And you have to recognize that a muffin a week is not a bad diet. No. That is amazing. I mean, none of us it's, do that. It's, none of us do it, that. It's, like, people don't apply. Like, the, the principle of progressive overload is so important in building muscle. You have to have progressive overload in place. But people don't apply that to uh, their nutrition. As long as things are getting better, you're on the right track. And it doesn't mean that you have to nail it all right now. It doesn't mean you have to have the perfect day off the get-go. But if this week you're doing better than you did last week in, in training and nutrition, you're going to be moving towards your goals because better is better. <laughs> Simple as that. Better is better. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Oh. So it's been an absolute pleasure. First episode done. And we actually might put this one up. <laughs> well. so next week we're going to be getting into discussions maybe a little bit more about the hormonal response to fat loss or we touched well, upon it today, we, we touched upon it today we'll get a little bit more in depth not much because we don't want to overcomplicate things but is that going to be it? Uh, I think we were either going to do that or we were going to put up the one on veganism and vegetarianism you what bastard. is just science <laughs> says I feel like protein we need a couple protein? of protein benefits of protein We'll get back to you. Yeah, we'll get back to you on this one. So, to follow us on all the things, you are going to need to hashtag TalkingFit for any posts you want to get hold of us. Um, they're going to be up on all our individual Instagram and Facebook pages. If you want to find me on Facebook, you're going to have to look for Rebellion Strength Personal Training. And if you want to find Rogan Allport on Instagram, you search for at Coach Rebel. Uh, to find Kane Owen, that's going to be racist. Uh, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Kane Owen, strength and fitness coaching uh, on Instagram, Kane Owen underscore SFC. And if you want to find Greg, I am on the Facebook under Shamrock Strength. Look forward to hearing from you guys and please leave reviews also. It's very, very important. Tell us if we're poo, tell us if we're good, we don't mind. Yeah, at the end of the day, like Greg said, this is episode one and it is only going to get better from here. At the same time, though, <laughs> stop it, both of you, stop it, I can hear what you're saying. At the same time, though, guys, if you have any particular topics that you want covered, any guests that you want us to try and get hold of, we will do our best to make sure that all your questions are We might are be answered. having some very interesting people coming on quite soon, actually, mm. which might be cool, which would be really, really cool. So in the meantime, guys, remember, thank you very much for listening to the first episode of Talking Fit, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.